podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Phillips Laven of the 1012 Podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I? Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us today. It is a Monday. That means that I am back. Jamie Steyer is back. Hello. I'm I'm here and uh, and a whole year older, and I still don't feel very much different, though. And hold on. We're going to get to that in a minute. And Andy Mitz. Yeah, Jamie, what happened to all the energy you had before we started recording? Like, come on. <laughs> I, I got to build it back up to it. I can't okay. just come in with, like, guns blazing. I got to I gotta have a build up. Let me tell you, for, for you guys that don't get to listen to the before, you know, <laughs> recording, you're missing out because it was awesome. <laughs> okay, so we need to backtrack for just a moment. It was Jamie's birthday. She is another year older. And Jamie... Uh, your mother, Coach Coach Steyer, Jody Steyer, was kind enough to share a a wonderful photo for all of us on Twitter. Um, now, for those of you who haven't seen it, if you're on Twitter, we will we will make sure that it is shared. Uh, I'm having to make it the image with the podcast, um, <laughs> and I can't promise I won't do a pullout of whatever you're about to say about this photo with a picture of the photo so everybody can see it. Um, you need us to explain. I need, I need to set the stage. This is like '90s puffy sleeved pink dress. You've got a. Mm-hmm. It's got a uh, like corsage on it. You are rocking a parasol. Like I need yeah. the backstory on this particular. Uh, image that i feel like your mother knowingly shared on purpose well, like this okay so first of all my mom is like incredible about pulling out pictures for like people's birthdays and stuff like she will find the oldest like most fun random picture when um you know her, her co-worker billy fenley had his birthday she whipped out a picture of him as like a preteen holding baby me to celebrate like that's that's the kind of stuff that she she has in the bag like she'll put together pick stitches it's incredible that particular picture oh i obviously now love sports love athletics growing up 
I wanted nothing to do with any of that. So I was very much dress up, dresses, wanted to put on makeup, wanted to paint my nails. And my mom tells the story and she's like, you like came in, came into the world and you were like, wanted to do all this stuff. I didn't know where you came from. I didn't know how to deal with this. Like she's much more of a tomboy. So, but yeah, so that's like, there's, there's a larger picture of me with like a couple of my little friends from growing up and stuff like that. But yeah, we had an absolutely incredible array of, of dress up costumes that, for all I know, are still in my parents' house somewhere. But that was my favorite look by far. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can guarantee that they're probably still in their house somewhere because, like, my sister was just given stuff that she used to dress up in to give to her daughter, like, a couple months ago from my mom. So, like, I, I know <laughs> that's the way it works. It's in a box in the corner of the basement, and it'll, it'll mm-hmm. resurface. Oh, yeah. Parents don't get rid of things. Like it's a it's a positive and a negative. Like on the one hand, you're like, I'm so glad you have all these things. But they get rid of your things from, as a child. Like things you're like, I wish I had my pogs. They're like, what? No, those are gone. Baseball cards, <laughs> nah. Pokemon cards, which are apparently incredibly popular, nah, they're gone. But things like that, yes, they keep. Now, you know, eventually you're going to clean out their attic and all that stuff in it. But that's another conversation for another day and a bit more. But but that is, I I would like to pretend that your mother still has this dress and parasol, which is which is fantastic. Uh, very exciting it was yeah it it was probably that probably was like early 2000s but very 90s style it was definitely a little old by the time we were we were rocking those around and honestly that parasol i think was from like my mom's prom or something she has a picture of it so if i had that picture i could return the favor and post it but i'd have to dig through their basement she took a parasol to prom yeah different actually, times man I, different times. i think i i do think i have that picture on my phone because it's it's like a similar color to one of the colors i have in my wedding and i think she sent sent it to me so Ooh. might need to keep that on the back burner for mother's day spoiler alert mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'm not sure your mom listens to the podcast so you're probably safe uh at least not regularly so <laughs> This we might, that'll be, that'll be we might have I'm to tag her at some point on something. <laughs> oh, so. We would absolutely. I mean, Jamie's going to tag her if, if, if she does it. Oh, yeah. This is good. This is fun. This is good. Uh, okay. We've got a lot to talk about. Obviously, the draft happened this weekend. Uh, we can talk about the Big 12 there. We can talk about Kansas finally hiring a football coach. Woo-woo. And we're going to get to those things. But I'm going to start with, with some women's basketball talk. You know, I, like. Kim Mulkey is off to LSU. Baylor is still in the market for a new head coach. They haven't had any announcement yet. I haven't heard anything as far as one way or the other in, in what direction they are, are headed. But I, I'm, I'm less interested with Baylor and more. I, I don't. It's going to be incredibly difficult for Baylor to fill the shoes that Kim Mulkey left behind. Um, and, and continue to win and dominate at that level on a consistent basis. I'm not saying it's impossible. Maybe they'll knock this higher out of the park, and Baylor will just keep rolling through the conference, winning it every year. Maybe they do. That's going to be hard to do, because to say that they can do that, or that they should be able to do that, is a little bit of just kind of pretending like Kim Mulkey wasn't that good of a head coach. right? Hey, we, anybody can come in here. Alabama's going to hire the guy after Saban. They're just going to keep doing what they're doing. Uh-huh, sure, okay, right. Uh-huh. So... 
with that said, I'm really curious about the idea of how how does the void left by Mulkey get filled? Who takes that place? Is that spread out across the conference? Do we start to see more teams win the Big 12 every other every so often as opposed to one team dominating it? Or do you believe, and, and Jamie, I really want to start with you because I know this is your area of expertise. Do you believe there is a team or two that can rise to really fill that void well, now that she's gone and, and they take over the conference as the dominating force? Well, it's obviously really easy to say it now because – I would no longer have to actually like defend it if it didn't come to fruition. But I very genuinely believed that even prior to Mulkey leaving, their streak was coming to an end soon. I think that the Big 12 that we saw this past season showed that there's some of the gap being bridged. There was there was some holes that still needed to be filled at a couple places in order to actually take Baylor down from their regular season crown. But I really believe that there's several teams making huge strides to put themselves in a position to do so. That said, I do think that it's several teams. I don't think there is a good single team you point to and say well they're next in line and part of that is just looking at where they'll be next year what their rosters look like next year what they did this past year you know a lot of people coming into this past season had texas up there at the top of the big 12 rankings. Well, obviously that didn't end up being the case. They ended up finishing fifth. They had some really big wins. They had some not so great losses. And then going into this coming season without Charlie Collier, losing uh, Celeste Taylor. I know they had another transfer, not getting it off the top of my head, but um, I know they'll have good players coming in. And I think that Vic Schaefer is a coach that, um, can certainly find some success there. I think they'll be in competition at the top of the Big 12. I wouldn't point to them as an automatic answer. Um, I think West Virginia has been breathing down Baylor's neck for, for a little bit here. I think they've been making really big strides as well. Um, and then obviously it's somewhat of a biased take but also it's not that i think iowa state's close especially they've got a little of athleticism a little bit more post presence coming in um that would be really big but i think that the there's a lot of teams that have like one position that you say well if they got this position filled it would be them but not them have yet so there's still some question marks um obviously the transfer portal's still open so we don't even know what rosters are going to look like quite yet um baylor could very easily lose a bunch of people off their roster still or they could very easily mostly stay depending on who the hire is I know they've only lost one to the transfer portal so far since Kim left, and it was Hannah Gusters, a freshman, following her to LSU, um, who didn't play a whole lot this past year, but she was a McDonald's All-American coming out of high school, so she'll be really good over there. 
But yeah, all that to say that it's just, I think, way too early to tell because there's a lot of unknowns that haven't been solidified and won't be for a hot second yet. Yeah, I mean, this reminds me a lot of, you know, probably, I would say probably about five or six years ago where there was like a, you know, seven or eight year period in the on the men's side where, you know, it was Kansas as the number one, but whoever the number two was going to be that jumped up to challenge them was a different team every year. And like, that's the way that the Big 12 women's looks to me. There's one clear cut number one that's been Baylor. And I think that's driven a lot because of Mulkey. And then there's a whole bunch of other teams that kind of take turns. And every year it's a different team that jumps up and challenges them at some fashion, you know, during the actual season. That, I mean, we're, we're kind of smack dab in the middle of there. And it's, it's almost kind of like the, the, what if, what if Kansas didn't have Bill Self and they were, you know, they had to, and, and they hired an assistant or something that nobody really knew what was going on. Like what would that big 12 men's side look like? And I think we're going to get to see something similar to that with women's because I don't know who Baylor is going to have as a coach. I honestly would have expected that they would have made some kind of inroads there um, or, you know, at least like there would be some sort of movement that we would have heard about at this point. But I haven't really heard any news at all, which maybe it's just because it's the women's side. So there's not as much news that you would typically hear about just because it kind of happens more behind the scenes. But, you know, I've I've tried to follow some people that would seem to be in the know and, and nobody really seems to have any idea what's going on, like what Baylor is planning on doing there. And so it's it's weird to be in that sort of situation where it doesn't sound like they have a clear direction, doesn't really sound like they know where they're going to go next, which makes me wonder how well this roster is going to be able to stay together. And if the roster doesn't stay together, that means that it opens it up wide for everybody else to jump in. And like you were saying, Jamie, I I don't know who that is. I mean, I could see it being Iowa State. I could see it being Texas next year. I could see it being Oklahoma State. I could see it being Oklahoma with with their new Mm -hmm. hire. Like, there is enough uncertainty right now about where the Big 12 is going to go on the women's side that until we know who the coach is going to be long-term for Baylor and if they're able to keep most of that roster together, I I don't know if this is going to be kind of a blip where Baylor has to reload and takes a small step back or if they take a huge step back because they have to completely reset now that Mulkey's gone. I mean, you you think in part Texas is set up to to partially fill that void. If you look at what what they did in this year, first year of – and I just forgot the head coach's name. Um, Vic Schaefer. Thank you. Very successful season in his first year. You would think Texas has the money. They're going to be able to invest. They're going to start to climb. Oklahoma State feels like a team that is going to continue to have good years, bad years. They'll have years where they challenge like they did. Uh, West Virginia is a solid program. Iowa State, solid program. Like It does feel like we're going to get a more... Like, I, I think we're going to end up with two or three teams that kind of fill the void. I don't think it's going to be one dominant team. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a situation where four or five or six teams are winning the Big 12 you know, in the next 10, 12 years. But I do think we're going to see two or three start to rise to the top. I think Texas is absolutely one. I think Iowa State has a shot at one. I think West Virginia. I think there's a lot of people that, that I would say perhaps. And I think, Andy, the OU point is, is a good one. The higher they made, that opportunity is absolutely there. Um, we've seen Oklahoma be very successful in the Big 12 on the women's side. There's no reason to think that that can't happen again. So I think it's it's interesting in the fact that maybe the top of the Big 12 isn't as good as it has been moving forward because Baylor's not there. But I, I do think the conference race is going to be a lot more interesting for the next few years because it's not just, well, it's Baylor. Baylor winning dominantly. Baylor, Baylor, Baylor. Which is not a shot at, like, Baylor fans are going to be like, I, I get it. You love winning every year. We understand that. And it's good to have a villain. And I say villain. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but there is it is fun if you start to see multiple good teams rise to the top and really challenge for a conference title. So I am intrigued to see what happens over these next few seasons. Uh, if I had to pick one team, I think Texas is set up. I, I think Vic Schaefer, I mean, look what he did in year one. I I think that program, they're, they're going to start to become one of the top, officially, really, truly one of the top teams in the Big 12 moving forward. Yep. Yep. That's so mm-hmm. succinct and nice. Thank you for that. Uh, Andy. Let's talk a little Kansas football. We can never talk enough Kansas football in this podcast. Oh, of course I don't not. think I've ever talked this much Kansas football ever than we have <laughs> lately. And I think part of that is just a testament to Kansas having a coaching hire at the time of year that we don't usually get coaching hires, right? Right. Um, it's a normally, weird time of year to get one. And right. so normally everything Kansas football does is overshadowed by someone else doing something similar in football. Mm-hmm. And this is this is like the only time that they are doing something all by themselves. And so it's it's been absolutely fantastic for people to actually take a look. It also has kind of been a little bit of a curse because you've got all these national writers that think that they know what's best and what Kansas needs to do because they've been so horrible that they all give their opinion. And, you know, half the time you find out that what they're talking about isn't really anything that Kansas was actually paying attention to. So it's definitely been interesting. I, I was going to make one note before I let you dive in on, on, on Lance Leipold. It's Leipold. Correct. You know, we make fun of the Kansas job a lot. And for good reason. They've been one of the worst Power 5 programs the last decade, period. One of the worst, if not the worst. In many years, they are the absolute bottom. There's not many G5s worse than programs from a year-to-year standpoint. But they are still a Power 5 program and and one that people care about, or at least from the standpoint of can hire a good coach. And so let me think back to last year. Um, Michigan State goes hunting for a head coach, similar timeline, late into spring. They swipe Colorado's head coach. It's very, there's throw a ton of money at him. Colorado goes out and hires Carl Durrell, a guy who had been the head coach at UCLA. I mean, literally was on nobody's radar. Nobody thought about it. He came in, and I know he had a nice first season there um, in Boulder, but I would be shocked if that continues and wasn't just in part a byproduct of the pandemic. Maybe he's maybe he does great. Maybe he does. But I think it speaks to that Kansas is not a foregone, just let it drift off into the ocean as people like to talk about it. When this late in the go around, Kansas, consistently viewed one of the worst programs possible, is getting to choose between one of the most praised from the media side, G five coaches between Jeff Monken and Lance Leipold, who were the consistent two kind of finalists. I know there's some other names. Skip Holtz is not a, you know, he's, he's not a bad coach. Um, I, I know the other ones were all just like, whatever. The main two were like, but the, the point is, it says something about Kansas that after everything they've done, after all the mistakes from everything and how bad things are there, at least they're reflected to be, that they were able to pick between two of the, I mean, frankly, two of the best G5 coaches there are doing incredible things at programs that don't always do incredible things. I think that speaks to the real true perception of Kansas is not as dumpster fire from a overall standpoint as we may always like to poke at it and say it is. Yeah, I mean, it. it I think that hammers home 
the point that I would made, I, th- I think I made it over here a couple times and over on my podcast as well, you know, is that Kansas is not systemically a bad job. It is not a place where you can't have success. It is a place that has been plagued by very bad AD, you know, jobs. Like in terms of the, the people that they've had as the AD has done a very horrible job of setting the football program up to success, for success. You know, and, and it started with Lou Perkins getting rid of Mangino for what seemed to be trumped up, you know, quote unquote, player abuse charges, which, you know, if you think about that now, like looking back on that, I I, I don't want to rehash all of that. But basically, like they, they made the decision to get rid of Mangino because they had the opportunity to do it. And then it's been mistake after mistake after mistake, both in AD hires and in, you know, the hires for the football coaches. And they are finally at a point now getting Travis Goff in here where there's a guy who is a respected AD. And like, you know, I actually got a kind of a thanks, thanks to Jeff Long. I actually had an inside source or two in the department that gave me a little bit of information about what was happening and, and like getting a peek inside of it this time. It just, it, it shocked me how well run this actual coaching hire seemed to be in terms of continually evaluating candidates, going back multiple times, double checking the work, you know, doing everything they need to do, not rushing the decision, even though it seemed like, you know, at, at times they may have been rushing it. They, they got to the point where they did everything they possibly could to avoid making a, you know, quote unquote, cheap hire, you know, someone that they could you know, get in there to to try to just get something moving and, and move on. They they did their homework. They did everything that they absolutely needed to do, um, you know, and they treated this like, you know, they wanted to find a guy that could go ahead and turn the program around. They wanted someone who would establish. They wanted someone who had shown that they could do it, not necessarily at this level yet, because obviously Kansas plays much better competition than, you know, Buffalo does in the Mac. Yeah, it's just it's just the fact of the way it is, you know, and so, yes, it's going to be quite the work for Leipold to do it. But the fact that they were able to get guys like Leipold and Munkin, you know, interested in the job, really actively doing everything. They, I mean, Munkin got to the point where he ha- he was building out a staff. He was ready to talk to recruits within an hour of being told that he had the job. Like he was doing everything that he needed to do to hit the ground running and do everything that he possibly could to, you know, get everybody on his side. And Leipold did the exact same thing. Like th- there are reports coming out that immediately after he was hired, he got on the he got on a Zoom call with you know, the most recent signee class and was talking with them immediately and got the guys excited. He he talked with everybody before the spring game, got a lot of the players excited. I was wondering, and I think a lot of people were wondering what was going to happen with the players. You know, were they going to see this new guy coming in, realize that Emmett Jones didn't get the job like a lot of them were pushing for, and they were all going to jump ship. To a man, from what I understand, all of them seem to, if not be outright excited by what Leipold can bring, were at least willing to give him a chance and saw that he could be successful. That doesn't mean that everyone's going to stay, but I don't think we're at a point now where Kansas has to worry about losing 20 to 25, you know, players off of their scholarship roster. Um, Yes, there's probably going to be guys that may go look for another opportunity somewhere, or, you know, you may get halfway through the summer and they realize that this isn't the place for them. And so they go to try to find some place to go. That's going to happen. That happens every year, even if the coach stays. Um, but we are not in a situation where it's that worst case scenario that a whole people, the, you know, the whole bunch of people were wondering about and like really pushing for to try to keep Emmett Jones on as the interim head coach. You're not going to have a mass exodus of players. You're not going to have to worry about that. He's doing he's putting in the work that you need to to get this program turned around. I don't know how long it's going to take, but I am confident that he is going to, you know, he is going to at least give them an opportunity to get a turnaround. Um, you know, he has a six year contract. His, his, his contract actually isn't as big as I thought it was going to be. It comes out to roughly about two and a half million a year. Um, you know, like that's more 
that's more in line with what I would have thought they would have hired if they were trying, you know, to be cheap about it. But from what I understand, like the way that they did everything and, you know, how how engaged he was and wanting to be here, that Kansas might have actually gotten a steal in, in terms of salary here. So, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of opportunities. I think it's going to work out really well for everybody involved. It's just a matter of how long it takes for him to turn Kansas back into a respectable program. Because I can tell you right now, we're not going to get two or three years down the road and people are going to get impatient. You know, if if they were to have some success this year, I think everyone's going to kind of treat that as a bonus. Like, you know, if they got two or three wins this year, I think that's kind of just a bonus in everyone's eyes. And then they get the opportunity to do what they need to do to completely do that rebuild. Like, so like, it's, it's not going to be a similar situation when David Beatty came and, you know, he got that win against Texas in year two and it raised expectations for everybody for them to get turned around really quickly. Everybody realizes that there, there's a huge structural issue here that has to be fixed because it's been 10 years in the making of just how bad everything had you know gotten to that point. Les Miles did a little bit of good work in getting recruits in here, you know, and kind of starting that foundation, but there's a lot of work that still has to be done. Kansas, I think, is finally set up that they can actually go ahead and do it. The question is just... Do they actually get it done this time? So it, it really felt during the week that Monken was going to be the guy. Like that's that's that was the vibe everything was giving off was Monken's going to be the guy. It's it's coming in time. I mean, you had predicted Wednesday. It felt like yeah, that's what I, I was actually had heard. I had actually heard they were deep in talks with Monken, and he was essentially going to be the guy. There was enough stuff there that they were kind of waffling on. Um, I think ultimately what it came down to is that. You know, they were they he was one A to Leipold's one B, but it was so close that they were going to be happy with either one. It was just a matter of how to make the details work. There was a little bit of questions about, you know, what that offense was going to look like when Munkin was there and not like is it going to be triple option? But it seemed like his plan for that wasn't necessarily quite as well thought out um, as the rest of everything that he was going to do, you know, and so they were a little bit maybe a little bit potentially concerned because obviously that's the big issue for Kansas. The, the, The defense is extremely talented. They have a lot of talent there. The offense is the biggest problem. You got to get that offensive line fixed for them. Um, and so, like, if that's the question of what's going to happen, like, if that's the one weak point in your plan, that's the one weakest. Like, that's the weakest point of this entire roster. And so, that's a that's a big hurdle to, to kind of overcome. There, there were some other financial considerations, from what I understand. You know, in terms of total salary pool, including assistance and everything, Munkins was going to be almost triple of what Leipold's would. And it's not a case where they were like, "Oh my gosh, he's going to cost so much more money." We, you know, bump him down a little bit. It really was a, they went into this, evaluated everybody, tried to keep it as independent of money as they possibly could, which is the right way to do it when you're looking for a guy to turn around your program. And then when they finally got to the point where they really said, okay, we're comfortable with either one of these. We just need to decide which one is going to be the guy, you know, there was enough questions of maybe potentially about how he did it. There might've been some personality conflicts that kind of just barely, you know, kind of tilted it a little bit in Leipold's favor. And then the salary pool was enough to kind of just push it over at that point. So it's, it's one of those things, you know, Kansas can say that after they looked at everything that Leipold was the number one guy, because that's what they're saying, you know, at this point is that, you know, he was our number one guy, but from everything that I've heard, Munkin was the number one guy until enough of the details kind of just worked against him that it was able to tilt it in Leipold's favor. I think they would have been fine with either one. I think either one of them would have been successful, but yeah, it, it definitely seemed like they were getting ready to announce for Munkin. They were actually getting set up for press conferences and stuff like this for, you know, er, earlier in the week. And as you know, that's, that's what got delayed is that they were trying to iron out contract details and it finally just didn't work. And they were finally able to get what they needed with Leipold. So it, it's one of those weird things that happens. Typically, you know, you make the decision and you have the contract kind of hammered out and you don't have two guys that are going to get there. Like you have a clear distinction of the guy that you want versus everyone else. 
And so you do whatever you, you, you have to do that when you're getting down to contract negotiations, that you find a way to make it work. Um, this was a little bit of a unique situation in that there was two really good candidates, two really good options, two guys that are actually ranked you know, for, for people that rank the best coaches in all of division one, you know, football, Leipold and Munkin were actually ranked as like 17th and 18th on that list. So they were both top 20 coaches. So like you, you don't like, you don't necessarily lose anything by picking one of them over the other. Um, and so it was really just a matter of finding a guy that's going to work with Kansas and, and finding the guy that you think is going to be the best guy moving forward, not necessarily the, the only guy that could be successful. Now, I was a, I was a monk and lean, um, but I have no problem with Leibold like at all. I, I, again, you had two great opportunities to hire two very successful coaches. I mean, look, and I, I, I don't want to sit and repeat what every other podcast is going to say. Like if you, if you've listened to anything, Leipold, and you can tell me it was Division Three. doesn't matter. He won seven championships in nine seasons, seven national championships in nine seasons. Yep. Went to a national championship game and won another one in a seven and three year. Outside of that seven and three year, he went 102 and three total. Now, I understand Wisconsin Whitewater was good the two years before he got there. They were. They had, they were kind of bleh. Whoever the head coach was before him, two 14-win seasons, he took over, stayed for nine years, and kept that train running. Comes to Buffalo. And this is, what I think, what really matters. So he got a nice situation in Wisconsin-Whitewater, kept it rolling. People don't give enough credit to keeping things rolling. It's really hard when you've been successful to either maintain success or make it more successful. He made it more successful by being three straight undefeated seasons, ended his career there with another two straight perfect 15-0 seasons. Yep. Go to Buffalo. Five and seven, two and ten. Since then, six and six, bowl eligible, but it's Buffalo. Ten and four, eight and five, six and one this past season. I, yeah, it's my it's been only my only concerns about him are this. Um, one of the things I'd heard about Monken was what people didn't realize was he was a a dogged and avid recruiter. But because you're an army, you're you're limited as to who all you're going to be able to recruit, right? Because there's there's, there's Army is unlike Army, Navy, Air Force. They're unlike any other school. You can't just go out and be like, I want all these kids. Right. Um, I haven't heard much about Leipold as far as recruiting goes. You look at his stuff at Buffalo, but Buffalo is a very difficult school to recruit to. You're in Buffalo, New York. You're not in a hotbed for college football or football players. Um, he did okay while at Buffalo. If you want to look at his standings in the MAC each year, it was 11th, 9th, 9th, 12th, 7th, and, and he was going to be 12th. Uh, it was 12th last year. I, I don't know what it was for next year. I didn't look. So he did okay. But again, Buffalo is a very, very difficult place to recruit to. So I, I am curious what you've heard as far as you're going to yeah. have to be able to recruit to Kansas. So you're going to have to re- go ahead. He himself is not a recruiter, but he, he was, from what I understand, he was a fairly good closer when his, you know, when his staff identified a guy and that's what he's kind of specialized in was they would identify guys early and get, you know, build those relationships, kind of do everything that you have to do at Kansas where, you know, you're not going to beat out Oklahoma or, you know, uh, well, that's probably a bad, a bad, uh, <laughs> but like, you know, like, like, like say someone like Arkansas or someone else who gets in on another guy, if you get in about the same time, that SEC school is going to win out. But if you get in really early and you're recruiting a guy for, you know, a year 
when he's a sophomore prior to anyone else even jumping on, and then you're really kind of pushing that, you can build those relationships that can overcome some of the bigger schools or some of the better conferences coming in. That's what Kansas has to do, and that's what they've done You know, as they've gotten more successful in terms of recruiting classes. That's what the staff that's already here, the recruiters that are already here, Emmett Jones, you know, Tony Hall, a lot of those guys, are really, really good at. And so I think a lot of how Kansas is going to do this is going to depend on who they retain. And like what they actually do and how well that staff is put together. I would not be surprised, especially for this first year, if the vast majority of the assistants stay. And and, and from what I hear, Kansas was kind of pushing that in the interviews, trying to keep a large portion of the guys, especially the ones that were the recruiters, because it you know it, it would it's big to have those relationships with the current roster that's already there. It's also kind of where you're at at this point. It's I think it's difficult to to change up a lot of these assistants and maintain any of that continuity going into the season. So the, the the general idea was, you know, come in, bring who you absolutely have to, uh, which, you know, his his main offensive co- or his his offensive coordinator and main recruiter at Buffalo was named as the interim coach. There's some question right now about whether he's actually going to come to Kansas at some point or if he's kind of, you know, if, if he's being given a, a legitimate shot to keep that job um, or if he's just kind of the placeholder for them to get through the spring and the summer. Um, until they can find someone else that they want. There's some questions about that, but I get the feeling that Kansas is probably going to stand pat with a lot of their staff that they currently have, which is going to help with that continuity, going to help with the recruiting that they have right now. You know, and then the question is going to be late to the end of the season, you know, how do they move on? Do they identify the people that they want to change? But they're going to get that opportunity, I think, to kind of keep building those relationships. And if he can keep most of the main recruiters that have had a lot of success on this Kansas staff with the way that they do it and where they've been able to do it, um, then I think he can kind of pick up where Les Miles left off and do it similarly in terms of the recruiting and build on it that way and build the program that way. And so, like, I, I don't know that I'm necessarily that concerned because while he himself has not been a huge recruiter, he has shown the ability to put a staff together that can recruit well, and then he can just come in and close it. And I think that's just as important. You know, Les Miles was the big name that drew a lot of these guys that were here, but there was a lot of work that had to be done by the staff to get them to that point where Les Miles could come in and close it. And, and I think that Leipold is going to be in a similar situation where he's going to put a good staff together that can do all the the boots on the ground work in terms of the recruiting and then he can sell it and sell the vision that they have and and get in who they need. I don't know, you know, how long it's going to take to to get to the point where they are, you know, bringing in recruiting classes better than they've had. But I do think that they're going to get there at some point. It's just a matter of when. Will be interesting to follow as he puts his staff together. I am that is the big thing. I mean, it is. It's he's got to find recruiters. He's got to find guys who can evaluate talent, find the three stars and the underrated guys that you can bring in and develop. Um, and and I think that I mean that's the big thing, and and I think they have to take a. I think for Kansas, I think for any school, if you've got any money, I know Kansas isn't just rolling in it, but aside, you know, you you have to sometimes look at things from the Texas perspective. You can't just bring over your staff from Buffalo and say these guys are going to be able to do here at Kansas what they did Buffalo. I don't think that always works. Um, I think you have to just this is a business and understand that and you can bring some guys over you trust and know are good and think they can elevate to a P five level and succeed. But I think you got to go out and say I'm going to put together a staff that can win at Kansas that can recruit to Kansas. It's not one of the easiest places in the world to recruit. It's not sitting in thin. A the t- typical rule is within 30 miles of a recruiting hotbed. I don't think Kansas really is within 30 miles of a recruiting hotbed. Maybe it's 75. I still point is. It's not an easy job, but it's not a job that you know 
Here's the thing for him. Just turn it into Kentucky. And what I mean by that is just have success. Like if Kansas is a place where if you just have, as long as basketball is rolling, if you just have success as a football program, they'll build you a statue. They'll, they'll name everything after you, right? Like it, they'll look at Kansas yeah. State. He, he, he was great. at Bill Snyder was great. I don't even think you have to be Bill Snyder. Like I, you just have to be not terrible and, and good and respectable. And I, I think he can have a very long career at, at Kansas. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 one of those things. If he can get them to the point where they're, you know, basically around five hundred every year, you know, with dips up and dips down here and there, he can he can be at Kansas as long as he wants. And I think that's really kind of where they're like where the goal is to get to get him to the point where they're good enough that he can just stay there as long as he wants to to be there. And I mean, I do think that if he has success here, if by the end of this six year contract that he has, Kansas has gone to two bowl games. You know, they have, they've, you know, won at least five games for those years. Like, if, if he does something like that, I get the feeling he probably is going to have an opportunity to jump up to a different program if he wants to. And if he wants to take it, I don't think any Kansas fan would be upset about that. Because if he's going to get hired away at the end of this contract to go somewhere else, that means that he turned, you know, he brought Kansas out from the depths of the Big 12 and gave them an opportunity to be something better moving forward. Agreed. Agreed. Let's check in real quick on our, our other football teams that we are following so closely. Um, the FCS playoffs going on right now. Of course, our three FCS schools, our home field magic home FCS schools we picked, all had advanced uh, to the second round. Alas, North Dakota State will not be winning the national championship this year, losing 24-20 to in the second round to Sam Houston, number two seed overall. However, Jamie, James Madison, 34-21 win over North Dakota. They have advanced. The semifinals will face Sam Houston. Uh, Andy, Delaware, pulling off the upset over number four seed Jacksonville State, 20-14. They have advanced to face the winner of the Southern Illinois-South Dakota State game that's going on right now. South Dakota State, the number one overall seed, and currently trailing 14-7 to with about 12 and a half minutes left in the second quarter. So that is interesting. Well, congrats to both of you. Your teams have advanced. Do you have any any thoughts or comments, or do you just want to, you know, gloat for a moment? Well, I've I've got a quick question for Jamie. Were you wearing your JMU shirt during their game today? Uh see, the thing about that is, I was hoping um, you'd say yes, and that Philip would say that he wasn't, because then I could say it really was home field magic that was responsible for that. I I really I really wish I had been able to acquire one, but when I'm getting married and buying a house, I uh, I have not made a a recent home field order, but they are making it very tough for me to continue <laughs> to resist. So. <laughs> Got a little money in the account from my birthday. May need to celebrate. Great victory. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, so I was wearing mine and uh, celebrated thoroughly enough while I was watching it that I spilled something all over it, which is why I'm not wearing it on the podcast tonight. <laughs> so, um, yeah, otherwise I would be wearing it and gloating about the fact that, you know, the Delaware team that I chose to follow this year um, looks like that. You know, I, I think honestly kind of looking, because I, I looked at the brackets beforehand, and, and my thought was if one of the national seeds or if one of those top four seeds was going to lose in the semifinals, it would probably be Delaware beating Jacksonville State because Delaware was, you know, they weren't seeded because they were only 5-0. and They only played five games going into it. You know, they didn't have an opportunity for as many games as a team like Jacksonville State did, but they were undefeated, you know, and they had looked good in basically every single game that they had. So it was one of those things like this is a weird year even for the FCS playoffs, just like it was for 
you know, all of the other college football because different teams played uneven amount of games. And so, you know, the normal seeding process, like we saw with the NCAA tournament basketball wise was kind of disrupted and made it a lot harder, I think, to seed the tournament the way that you normally would. So um, I wasn't necessarily that surprised kind of looking at Delaware going into this game. Um, I, I'm pulling really hard right now for Southern Illinois because I do think that Delaware will match up pretty well with Southern Illinois, um, not necessarily quite as much with South Dakota State. So I'm, I'm hoping for a championship, you know, match here between uh, Delaware and then uh, maybe potentially JMU. Maybe by that point, Jamie, you can have a shirt and we can have some home field magic, you know. Uh, yeah, battle it out. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want a little home field magic for James Madison or – Delaware, maybe Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, Baylor, Iowa State, uh, and so of course some non-Big 12 schools and FCS schools as well because there's more than 100 schools available at Home Field Apparel. Then go there now. Use the promo code 1012, T-E-N-1-2. Get 20% off your first order. They are the most comfortable, the most awesome vintage college sports apparel, period. Uh, um, by the way, if I if I know correctly, I believe that they're going to be uh, Indiana joggers that hit on Monday. They yeah Indiana yeah joggers. they've got uh, they've got they've got Indiana joggers, and the implication is that there will be more jogger rollouts coming up. I think well, I, think I, I do remember them. I they had those polls. They did say at one point. That the goal was to get one pair of joggers for every conference at least <laughs> yeah so. i feel like they have to redo the big 12 poll now that they have more schools but i wish they wouldn't because i know i yeah I, I get the feeling that iowa state's probably gonna get one anyway because there's enough people that have been clamoring on you know for them to to get it that i just feel like iowa state anything iowa state on the internet Look, when the Doggers came out, I bought two pairs for myself and an Iowa State friend. So I feel like we've you feel we've like they owe you our, now, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We've put in our effort. We've we've done it for them. Uh, school refreshes continue for for home field, and then Big New Saturday starts in June. Lots of uh, let me put it this way: um, if you listen to last Thursday podcast, you had an interview with Connor. Um, he revealed. More Big 12 schools will be added. More Big 12 schools are going to get added. Do I know which ones they are? Yes, I do. Uh, am I going to tell you? No, I am not, because I am contractually and obligated not to do so. But I do know which schools are getting added, and I am very excited about it. I am. And I think both fan bases of both Big 12 schools will be very excited about it when those Big News Saturday reveals occur. Uh, so, of course, if you were a Baylor, Iowa State, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State fan and have not bought anything from Homefield Apparel yet, now is the time. Promo code 1012, 20% off your first order. Free shipping on orders, $70 or more. Be rocking the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel. There is a today. I don't know why I said today like that. Sometimes I do things and I immediately regret them. And I can't cut it out. Like, I just have to leave it there. There's no other way to go back. Exactly. Today. Like, uh, oh my hey. God. Jamie and I have done enough embarrassing stuff that you have to leave your embarrassing stuff in there too. Parasol. I've never been embarrassed a second in my life. Um, I have a soundbite <laughs> where you called Ames trash that just happens to be recorded and sitting waiting to be <laughs> pulled back out later. So I'm just, and I really need to go back and like find, oh, a cesspool. That was the term, cesspool. I need to go back and find out all of Andy's things that he said to piss off all the Iowa State and every other fan base and just put a little <laughs> mashup together. 
but they're already Look, mad enough at me. You're it taking is. it I mean, out of context. Not going to make it but... any worse. We are a journalistic podcast of the utmost and highest integrity. We would never take anything out of context <laughs> for a joke. <laughs> of course not. Of course not. Yeah. No. Um. All right. So the NFL draft was this past weekend. We should probably touch on it just a minute. Uh, if you didn't know, the Big 12 uh, did not have a first-round pick this year. It's the first time in the history of the Big 12 conference that there was not a first-round pick for the Big 12. There were a couple of players who had been projected first-rounders. Oklahoma State uh, tackled Tevin Jenkins, TCU safety Trevon Morig. Um, both fell to the second round, early second round, but they both fell to the second round, fell out of the first round. It was a weird first round this year. But the Big 12 didn't have a first-rounder, so everybody go ahead and pile on. I've seen all the A&M people. <laughs> God. Oh, uh, I don't know if there's any fan base that's more pathetic for being SEC, SEC than Texas and A&M. And my goodness, they just they just saw an opportunity. It's like, well, we can't win a championship, so let's just harp on the Big 12. Look, um, the jokes are fine. It's annoying. They're going to bring it up next year. And next year, there's going to be multiple Big 12 first-rounders, which it is. Oklahoma's going to probably have some. I would expect Iowa State to have at least one. Um, Big 12 players fell out this year. Part of it was a run on defensive ends at the end of the draft because the defensive end class started getting really bad later on, so you wanted to get one early. Um, but there is some there is some concern here with the Big 12 with just 22 players drafted. It's the lowest of the Power 5 conference. It's been that way for a while. And look, I'm... When it comes to recruiting, there's something we all have to understand. Um, outside of just having a shitload of money, which helps you in recruiting, it does. It's necessary. First-round picks matter. Being a first-round pick matters when you want to land four and five stars. I don't know how Texas continues to do it, despite the fact they can't land players in the first round of the draft. Or period. It's not a good look for the Big 12. It doesn't help them in recruiting. It will continue to get used against the Big 12 in recruiting. Well, they had, what, five in 2020, if I remember correctly? They've had Oklahoma having quarterbacks taken number one in, like, back-to-back seasons. Like, it's going to be fine. It's one year. It's not a great look, but it's one year. And if the Big 12 bounces back next year with five or six first-rounders, which I think they have a shot at doing, I think they get at least three, everything's be okay. But the point I want to make here is Oklahoma does, for the most part, pull its weight. I think it will continue to, to improve upon that. Texas. Someone tweeted out that this was the first time since 2010 that Texas had two players drafted in the first 75 spots. First time. So you take 2010 and you take 2021, you've done it twice. In that same period of time, Baylor's done it three times, Oklahoma four, TCU three times, Oklahoma State twice. Number of first-rounders drafted, if you'd like, that fun stat, between 2010 and, and this year, Oklahoma's had 10, Oklahoma State's had 5, uh, Baylor's had 4, uh, TCU's had 6. Uh, Texas has had the same number of first-rounders between 2010 and 2021 as Texas Tech. Two. Texas, pull your damn weight. If you're going to be the great Texas, and you're going to land on these four and five stars, pull your damn weight. Develop them. Because it's amazing how many talented players you get who don't pan out. 
But all the Texas players who go on to other places, not Texas A&M, they suck too, uh, seem to be doing well. Tom Herman got fired in part because he lost, part because of the stupid school song. It's not the school. Stupid school song, Eyes of Texas. In part because his staff didn't develop players for shit. Didn't. I still hate that Caleb Stearns ended up there selfishly because I wanted him at Oklahoma State. And selfishly because it, he was so good his freshman season and, and never really got better than his freshman year. Part of it was injury. Part of it was they, Texas didn't develop players. Texas, pull your damn weight or get out of the damn way. Period. It's the same problem I have with Iowa State. Please beat Iowa or go away or just stop. Okay? You want to win the Big 12, that's great. It's cute. Whatever. Beat, beat Iowa. Texas, develop your players, put them in the NFL, get them drafted in the first round, get more than two or one drafted in the top 75. We, as a conference, and I don't like to play the SEC, SEC card, but as a conference, it is better for everyone when Texas is good. It's better when we beat them when they're good because you get respect for it. It's better when they're good, and it makes the rest of the conference good because other players want to come play against Texas. It's good when Texas is good. I don't need them to be, you know, Vince Young good again. But it's good when Texas is good and not a joke. Pull your weight. Do your job. Do your damn job. Bring in these classes that you bring in, these top five, top ten classes, and develop these players and get them in the NFL and get them drafted. Okay? For the kids. For the kids. Do, Do your job better. I will I'm say I'm gonna bully you for being so mean to Iowa State today. <laughs> I'm gonna get on Twitter and I'm gonna rally the troops and I'm gonna bully you. That's that's fine. It's I love Iowa State. I do. Is what they, I will what never they get say? off my beat Iowa soapbox. No, no publicity is bad publicity, right? That is correct. <laughs> that is no, correct. you know what? My my favorite draft note it was actually um, Alan Kenny at blatant homerism over on Twitter, you know, after the first round did some, some back of the envelope math on first round picks since 2013, because the funniest thing that I saw was a whole bunch of um, Texas A&M Aggies fans talking mm-hmm. about how the big 12 is trash because they h- hardly have any, you know, first round picks. And, uh, you know, TCU and West Virginia combined had eight first round picks since 2013, you know, when they joined the conference, um, A&M, Missouri, Nebraska, and Colorado combined. Have a total of ten. Texas A&M. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, West Virginia had four. Sorry, I, I missed West. I didn't say West Virginia. They had four. So TCU had well, actually they had nine. Yeah, because TCU had five uh, since 2010. TCU's had six. West Virginia's had four. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, this was since 2013. So. Right. Yeah, so that's fine. But no, yeah. So it's one of those things like, you know, the Big Twelve is actually taking a step forward since those teams left in terms of overall number one. Uh, or I'm sorry, uh, first round picks. And it's just rich that, uh, you know, A&M is the, the school that decided to call out the Big 12 for their lack of first rounders when the only reason they have any claim to fame is that they are part of a conference, you know, that has a bunch of national champions that get a bunch of first rounders. Not because A&M itself is actually, you know, contributing first rounders to that. So, gotta love it. Oh, it's... <sighs> Draft shenanigans are my least favorite kind of shenanigans because they're so stupid and yet somehow they they mean so much to so many people. It's called off-season gloating. You've got to find something. And so it's either going to be recruiting rankings or players in the or or the draft. Um, And again, 
A&M, rent-free. Rent-free. Big 12 <laughs> lives rent-free in A&M. It will never matter. We, we literally couldn't care less about what A&M does. But they they got nothing else except riding Alabama's coattails and we should have been in the playoff this year. <sighs> Anybody have any closing thoughts? No, no. I think we've got everything. <laughs> I have no thoughts. As as my co-host, as my co-host on my podcast says every single time when I ask him that question, no, I think we killed it. <laughs> Very good. Jamie's still recovering from her birthday party. Uh, Andy's still trying to get the stain out of his Delaware shirt. And I have two kids, two and under, and that's going to keep me my valid excuse until they grow up and move out and I can do a podcast and actually plan for it. JK, was I going to ask you guys something? Oh, no, wait. See, I'm also getting my OSU pod confused. All right. We're just going to wrap here. Uh, again. What an ending. Home Apparel. What an ending. Visit Homefield Apparel. Homefieldapparel.com. 1012 gives you 20% off your first order. Follow us on Twitter at 1012podcast. T-E-N, the number 12. The word podcast. We will share Jamie's photo. It's It's glorious. Follow Jamie at J Styes, J S T E Y Z. Follow Andy at Andy Mitts12. That's M I T T S. We will have an episode on Thursday. I am very excited about it. We are going to have some college football talk. We're going to have some NFL draft. No, don't. Philip, don't do it. Every time you tease a pod and say things, Mm-mm. interviews Mm-mm. get canceled. So we're going to have an episode on Thursday. It's going to be good, of but we don't know what it is going to be yet. Yeah. Who knows what's going to be on it or who is or what's going to go down. But it's going to happen. So until then, you guys enjoy your week. Podcast Network.